Well, today we are beginning a brand new study um, on the book of Genesis, chapters 1 through 11. It'll take us through most of the spring. So if you have a Bible, open up your Bibles, Genesis chapter 1, hint, hint. First book of the Bible, can't miss it. First verses will be in verses 1 and 2 today. Question for you. Have you ever felt terribly misunderstood? Anyone? Some of you are like kicking your spouse right next to you. You're like, you better believe I feel misunderstood. I've been telling you this for years. Okay. Uh, my son, um, earlier this week, he said something that uh, I hope he never repeats to me ever again. Uh, apparently, he didn't feel understood by me. And he said this to me. You don't know me. Excuse me? Now, my... One of my older daughters had said this to me a couple years ago, and I proceeded to rebuke and correct her immediately. Um, a little bit later, after my son had said this, I kind of took him aside, and I basically said the following to him. Son, I watched you come out of your mother's body. I know what you're going to do even before you do it. And I know what you're thinking before you even have words to put to that thought or feeling. Don't ever look at me again and say, I don't know you. I know you better than you know you. And every mom and dad in this room kind of get a big hearty amen when a five-year-old <laughs> looks at you and says that. Now, I want you, my, my son took it well, but I want you to imagine a world where my son is trying to figure out where he came from. Now, I've got three kids, nine, seven, and five, and uh, at least two of my kids are starting to query on these subjects, and, and I'm like, eh, can we wait a couple years? No, but they're, they're, they're trying to figure this out. Where did I come from? How did I get here? Okay, and uh, once one asks it in front of everyone else, the question's kind of like on the table, and you have to deal with it. Uh, I want you to imagine with me that my son comes to this conclusion. Um, there was an explosion in outer space, an out-of-set explosion he personally evolved. Now, at this point, I'm gonna come back to my son and say, Excuse me, um, I was there. Uh, actually, on uh, August 26, 2012, at Central DuPage Hospital, y you came out of your mother, and that is the day you were born. Okay, uh, get rid of all this space and blowing up and, and evolving stuff. Like, I literally watched the day you were born. Eh, it's debatable, he says. So he goes over to his other five-year-old friends who again have no point of reference before anything before five years old. And they're like, no bro, totally. There is an explosion, lots of, lots of stuff flying through space and then some fiery hot ball cooled down and you came out of it, right? And he's like, dad, I pretty much think that's it. I'm like, I'm sorry, but your buddies, I'm sure they're smart, right? You know, I'm sure they got it all together. They weren't there, okay? They're five years old. I've been around a lot longer. And in fact, I literally watched it. So then he goes and tells his friends, he goes, yeah, my dad has this interesting allegory and story. It's not really true. It's more just to teach me like a, a moral lesson of where he came from, right? And he said, oh yeah, I came out of my mother's body on October you know, 26, 2012. I really like the space thing. That's like way cooler, right? All his friends are like, yeah, 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 right? And at this point, I'm like, I'm, I'm genuinely frustrated. Now, my son and my kids are all starting to ask questions of origin. Who is the only person, the only people with authority to tell my son where he came from? Mom and dad and the people in the room. No one else has any other proof of where that kid came from except for us, okay? Now, when my son comes to me and he wants to know questions like, why did you have me? I, I want to look at my son. I don't want to tell him. Um, we had you on purpose. 
we actually, um, you weren't an accident. Um, in fact, um, we wanted to have a third child. And he says, why, 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 did, you, why did you make me? Why, do I, why did you bring me into this world, right? Uh, what I, what I want to tell my son is, we brought you into this world because we want to create as many Jesus followers as possible. We prayed about it. We felt like God was like, yeah, and we want to see you give your life to Jesus Christ. We had a, a son or daughter because we wanted to fill the world with the glory of God, and we wanted to create more babies who would love Jesus, right? He's like, mm, okay, that's optional. I still think I came from outer space, right? Like, and you get, the, like at this point, I'm like, I don't think you're quite understanding. Now, can you just imagine how God feels? Can you imagine how God feels? God enters into space, time, and history, reveals himself, and is like, um, I'll tell you what, um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna tell you about where you came from and how you got here. I'm gonna tell you how this all worked, and by the way, I'm God, I can do anything, so if it seems a little weird to you, like, trust me, like, uh, I spoke and matter existed, I can do things however I wanna do them, okay? And we're gonna get into all this fun stuff, by the way. Um, all the questions, like, what does Michael really think about science and creation and evolution? All we're gonna have a whole bunch of fun discussions on this and teaching through Genesis. Don't worry, it's gonna get um, great. Um, but uh, really, at the end of the day, we gotta come back to this, like, God knows what he's doing. God knows how he did it. And anybody can surmise and hypothesize about how and why and where and when, but there's really only one being who can give us with absolute clarity the answers to our questions, and it's God himself. And aren't you so grateful that God did not leave us groping and wondering, but entered into space, time, and history and revealed his nature and his character and his heart and his will and his ambition to us, his people? Uh, so here's what I want to talk about. When we talk about intentions, um, when we, feel, we talk about being understood, when you open up Genesis chapter one, for that matter, when you open up any part of the Bible, um, there is only one thing that matters. First and foremost, there's only one thing. And what matters most is this. What did God intend? There are a million interpretations and all this other stuff and views of Genesis one and two and every other chapter in the Bible. But here's the question we want to get to. Okay, God, when you inspired this? What were your intentions? So I'd like to share with you a few things that we know about God's intentions as it pertains to really most of the Bible, but we're going to focus on um, Genesis for a moment. Number one, God intended to reveal himself to people. That God went out of his way to make sure that humanity, every one of us, would know certain things about himself. Now these are things that cannot be known unless God himself reveals it to us. Number two, God intended to use Moses to communicate these revelations. Uh, the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, also called the Torah, um, articulates, self-reflects that Moses penned the majority of it, okay? And what we find here is that Genesis was given by God to Moses with the intention of revealing himself to people. Number three, God and Moses intended to write in understandable language, so uh, the vast majority of the original recipients, right, were not able to likely read. They could hear it. And when they heard Genesis 1 read, they understood it. It was not confusing. It was not perplexing. There was an original audience. They got this. This was able to be understood. Number four, God and Moses both intended that the end result of reading Genesis 1, for all of us in this room and anybody who would ever read it, would be twofold. Number one, information that results in clarity. 
that God is going to dispense information. Um, he's going to do it in a beautiful way, but there are revelations, information, facts, ideas um, that God wants to let you know about, and there is no other way you would know these things unless God himself personally, through revelation, gave them to us. So there are going to be things that we learn about God in Genesis chapter 1, in fact, all throughout scriptures, that are unknowable unless God himself tells it to us. Information about God's nature, information about God's intentions, information about God's heart, information about your origins and your purpose, things that we can surmise and grope about, but we can never actually know with certainty unless we are told. God did not, by the way, intend to answer every one of our questions. Um, the whole point of scripture is not to be exhaustive and address every question that every human would ever have about anything. God is trying to reveal specific things, though, to his people. The second uh, reason that God is revealing in Genesis 1 is to cultivate in us awe where we respond in worship. Awe that results in worship. The creation account, you've heard it a thousand times. My biggest challenge in preaching this to you is our hearts are numb to the vocabulary. And my desire is that God, as we read through and study Genesis chapter one, you would be able to walk out these doors and say this, there is nothing my God cannot do. My God is capable and able and unbelievable and good and holy, and you would walk out of here with the utmost confidence that God can take whatever darkness and chaos and void in your life and bring order and peace to it. Uh, Gen, uh, the book of Job, chapter 38, verse three. I shared this with you actually at Christmas Eve, and, and uh, you may not know this, but uh, the Bible tells us that at creation, as God spoke and matter exists and the universe unfolds before us, that the angels were actually spectators to this incredible event. Uh, actually, God is rebuking Job, but he tells us this cool fact about what happened in creation. Here's what he says. Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundation of the earth? The morning stars, which is a word for angels, sang together. And all the sons of God, another word for angels, shouted for joy. That the response of watching God speak with unbelievable power was that they sang and they worshiped and they shouted for joy. That there's something about this creation account that if you could visibly watch it, it would leave you in utter and complete awe and the end result would be worship. At the very end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, the 24 elders are sitting before Jesus Christ and they're pondering creation and here's what the 24 elders say. They worship God and they say, worthy are you, our Lord and our God. Notice how personal it is. To receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things and by your will, simply because God wanted it, they existed and were created. Beautiful. And this is, this is the intended response that when God's people pick up the book of Genesis and they get through the first chapter, you should be able to walk away. You should have more information that leads to clarity, that leads to awe, that results in worship. So Genesis has um, some original recipients. We've got to get on the same page with who is receiving this, this book. Um, very important. And as we talk about this, uh, here's a little biblical uh, interpretation, application principle you've got to get in your brain. Very important. It goes like this. Genesis was written for us 
but it was not written to us. Genesis was written for us, but it's not written to us. Genesis was written with a very specific group of people in mind. We, because of the spirit of God, because of teachers, because of history, because God has preserved his word, because God has given us his Holy Spirit, we have the ability to understand it and to apply it. But this book, this verse, these chapters have a really specific audience and were given for a very specific person. And the audience of Genesis chapter one was the wilderness Israelites. Remember the, the Israelites for 400 years, they were enslaved in Egypt and God decided to release them through Moses, their leader, brought them into the wilderness for how many years, by the way? 40, 40 years, like how I do that with my Darth Vader hand, 40 years, uh, brings up 40 years. And these, this, this group of people was discouraged and beaten down. And, and, and honestly, the probably the vast majority of their Jewish theology was long gone. They had been secularized, paganized by polytheistic Egyptian uh, gods in worship. And God was gonna enter back into this group of people's lives, redeem them. And one of the things that God had to do was reorient their brain and their mind and their understanding of reality because the Egyptian religion and faith and culture had so lied to them for so many years. And God gives them this creation account to dismantle them and to begin to re-put them back together to say you are not the result of a dueling sun god and some other god who got into a fight and then this pharaoh came out of them and he's parked like all of that is gibberish there is one god and he created you with intention and with purpose and he has a name and he has set his affection and his attention on you you need to know this because wrong bad worldviews hurt people every time. And God is committed to dismantling the, the, the Jewish Israelite worldview. And in the same way, every one of us walk into this building and we have this pull in us to secular humanism and evolution, all these ideas. And we have this pull in us to say it's all science and no God. It's stronger than you may even realize. And what God has to regularly do through his word is dismantle the lies and shape us and reform our minds so that we believe in truth. So uh, open up again, Genesis chapter one, verse one. I'm gonna read this once and then I wanna have all of us read it all together. Let me go first. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the earth, of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Let's read together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So we're only going to be in two verses, and don't worry, we will start to move a little bit more quickly through Genesis 1 through 11. Consider this more of an introduction. Uh, But even in these two verses, what is God doing at the very outset of scripture. He is declaring and revealing his nature and his character. So point number one in your notes is God is. I'm gonna give you five descriptions of God in these two verses that he is declaring to this group of Israelites in the wilderness. And then for each of us, he's declaring to dismantle all of the lies of our culture that we have believed and he's gonna reform us and reshape us. And here's the first truth about his nature that he wants everyone to understand. Number one, God is eternally pre-existent. 
Uh, in the English, it's four words. In the beginning, God. In the Hebrew, this is just two simple words. In the beginning is one word in the Hebrew, and God is another word. Uh, and what happens at the very beginning is that God brings us to the place where science could never take us. Again, science is groping and surmising, and don't get me wrong, I'm not anti-science at all in any way, shape, or form, but science has limits, and science is able to take us back, um, we'll just say, maybe the best that science has for us is, is this. Um, all of the matter in the universe condensed into a singular point, exploded with unimaginable energy, causing all matter to be flying through space and growing further and further apart, waiting for its energy to be burned out and leaving the world to be completely cold and dark. Oh yeah, by the way, um, as the stars were flying through, the space, uh, through space, conscious, sentient, self-reflective beings evolved, but eventually we're all gonna die and all that is is matter, okay? I'm gonna be honest with you. That is bleak and sad, and it leaves me with nothing. It makes me depressed. If that's all there is, science may, to a degree that it feels confident, uh, best three to date is what I just kind of shared with you or some version of that, right? But that's all it can tell us. It can't go to the moment before, to the intention. It, it can't answer the most fundamental questions of life. Who am I? Why am I here? Who is God? Why did you make me? Why does all this exist? What happens when I die? What is, uh, all of these fundamental questions, it ultimately fails us. Now, science declares the glory of God. Every time we uncover something about science, it just declares the genius of God. What's taken us millennia to find out, we've barely begun to scratch the surface of reality. And every time we do, we step back and say, God, you're way smarter, way more brilliant, way more intricate, way more complicated, way more intelligent than anything we could have possibly imagined. Science declares the glory of God for sure, but it never, ever has brought us to a point to answer the most fundamental questions of who we are, where we came from. And this is just pivotal. These are the cross of the human heart. Science, if that's all it is, it leaves us hopeless, lacking, and wanting. And this is where I love God, knows this, enters into human history, and with intentionality and with clarity, reveals himself. I think what's, probably what's most important for the Jewish people in the wilderness here is, is that in two or three Hebrew words, maybe four or five English words, that right at the outset, God dismantles every competing worldview. I mean, if someone were to say to you, dismantle every worldview and use it, do it in two words. I, I, it would take me pages and pages and paragraphs. God does it so simply. And there is this worldview, um, this, this draw for the Jewish people of polytheism, pagan polytheism. You see all throughout the Old Testament that God's people are drawn to this like a magnet. There's something about it that is so attractive to their culture. Uh, and what you find is that uh, every time they're drawn into it, they get destroyed. And what God is going to do when he takes them out of the Egyptian uh, nation and brings them into a promised land, he has to reframe their worldview and tell them what is true and real. He dismantles and eliminates in these words polytheism, the idea that there are multiple gods. He eliminates atheism just by identifying himself as Elohim. He eliminates atheism. He eliminates materialism. Um, already we see this, that in the beginning uh, is this Hebrew word that basically maybe the best way to say it is um, when all this was made, when all of this was created. In fact, the, the Hebrew word for create, uh, there's a couple of them. The one used in the next